I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, super producer Brandon Newman, Isaiah out in the desert, and my father still over in Ireland at this point uh, in parts unknown. I'm not actually sure which part of the country he's in at this point, if he's made his way anywhere. Thankfully, my mom is heading over to supervise now, which means Jason Fitz uh, still operating from parts unknown projects to be determined, joining us back again on the show today. Fitzy, what's going on? Uh, here's the real question. Like, how many Guinness does your dad have before your mom gets there? Like, when your mom comes in, is she having to? Because believe me, I've spent some time in Dublin, and you know, I went to humble brag. You know, I've been there a bunch of times, and I went to the the hotel person. I, I guess I don't know. It wasn't a nice enough hotel to call it a concierge, but I went to the person at the front desk when it was like my sixth trip to Dublin. And I was like, okay, I've gone to this big church over here. I've gone to see this over there. I've gone to the Guinness factory. I've gone to the Jameson factory. What else is there to do here? And the guy was like, uh, you've done it all. Just go get drunk. So I'm just saying your dad over there is probably just like wobbling three sheets to the wind up and down every street. Oh, 100%. It's the combination of my dad being free uh, from any sort of supervision and also the fact that he's golfing over there as a part of a group from Notre Dame. And my dad has this weird thing at golf tournaments where he regresses to being a college kid every time he goes. And he'll always text our family group chat, clearly a little sloshed, out peeing in the woods or something that you would do out golfing with your buddies that my dad, because again, it's that rush of getting to do it, feels the need to tell our entire family. And my mom just shakes her head and shame so hopefully uh, he's probably does he call that that. swing in the club that's what we really is it called swing in the club when he's out there peeing in the woods 
There you go. Uh, I, I don't. You. I don't think for him it's called the club. But uh, we got a great show for you today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us that five star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel and DraftKingsNetwork.com. I'm going to segue away from talking about that with my dad and uh, <laughs> Jason into plenty of sports news that we got today. We'll have a great interview with Cooper Beebe coming up, All American offensive lineman for the defending Big Twelve champion Kansas State Wildcats. I feel like I need to. Say that out loud for a lot of people because don't anybody treat them in that conversation with any sincerity and they need to put some respect on their name we will talk with plenty uh about that with him but jason the big news of yesterday man the nfl has a lot going on as we get towards the end of training camp and most of it's centered around santa uh, santa clara it has been fascinating to watch how toxic the 49ers backup quarterback position has become in the discourse around the NFL. And that took the next step yesterday. Sam Darnold was named the number two quarterback behind Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan said on Wednesday. And that leaves them in a weird spot with uh, former number three overall pick Trey Lance. Jason, they are, according to sources, exploring all option with Trey Lance, including potentially trying to find a trade partner for a guy they want to mortgage their future for. Jason, this one's complicated because the Niners have been so successful still in the last couple of seasons, including an NFC Championship game appearance last year. But as we sit here right now, how much blame do we have to throw the 49ers front office way versus how much blame people want to maybe put on Trey Lance for the way that we've gotten here? I put so little blame on the 49ers front office because of what you just mentioned. The success of the team has to matter, right? And I think what the 49ers have done is given every team, every fan base in the entire NFL, a blueprint of what to care about in April during the NFL draft. You and I have worked on the draft a lot together, right? And every year we become quarterback obsessed. What the 49ers are showing you is if you become roster obsessed and you, you worry, frankly, about having the best guys all across the board, instead of reaching for a quarterback constantly, you take the person that helps you the most right then, the person that on the board is the best player clearly for you. What that allows you to do is then take a wild swing at quarterback. And guess what? If you miss, it's all good, right? Like, when's the last time we saw a team miss this badly at the quarterback position and their fans aren't mad? The owner's not mad? Nobody's mad across the board because there's still a Super Bowl contender this year. I think what the 49ers have taught you is that in this process, the front office plan is let's build a great roster. And then if we take a swing at a quarterback and we miss, that's going to be okay. Like, I think there's lessons to be learned for every other fan base that sits there every fall, every spring, I should say, at the draft and is obsessed with we have to get a quarterback right now. No, you don't. You need to get a great roster and then worry about the quarterback. Oh, see, Fitz, I disagree about the plan portion of this. One, I think you're really underestimating how difficult that is. What the 49ers, what the Eagles have done with their rosters is really hard to do. There's a reason most teams swing for quarterback. It's the one position where if you strike gold there, it makes everybody else's life a lot easier. So what the 49ers have pulled off with the rest of that roster, deserving of praise, but really difficult to replicate because you got to get a lot of things really right. Think about how right. Right, right. You have the best left tackle in football, arguably the best tight end in football, one of the most versatile wide receivers in football and the best running back in football, the best middle linebacker in football, maybe one of the best defensive. Like, do you see where I'm going with this? That's really hard to replicate and have as your backdrop here. What it feels like with the plan fits is the 49ers had one until they got punched in the mouth. 
And that was in the form of the team success and the injury timing with Trey Lance, where he finally takes over last season is supposed to be the starter and then gets hurt early on. And then the 49ers have the Brock Purdy thing happen. And then they make it all the way to the NFC Championship game. And they go back on the original premise that got them to drafting Trey Lance at three in the first place, trading a King's Ransom to get there, which was we knew what our floor was. And after seeing Jimmy Garoppolo airmail that ball in the Super Bowl loss to Kansas City, we wanted to raise our ceiling. And we thought in the interim, hey, they might be willing to take a slight step back to go and raise that ceiling. And then somewhere after that Trey Lance injury, they decided they were no longer willing to sacrifice the present for the future. And I think that's how we arrive where we are right now. Yeah, I mean, I keep looking at the Trey Lance thing and saying, didn't we know from the outset? I mean, that draft, when he was selected on air at the time when I was working with ESPN, I questioned the pick. Why? Because there was so little body of work. And when you start looking at some of these guys that, you know, we have the great debate, do you play a quarterback? Do you sit a quarterback? Well, some guys have played so little, they just got to get out there. Trey Lance was never going to get that opportunity to get out there on a Super Bowl caliber roster. They weren't going to take enough of a step back to see if he really could play in that situation. But that's why the front office, I think, is deserving of some blame because you've got to have the right plan and know what you're picking. Yes, he needs reps. It's why I'm lauding the Colts for getting Anthony Richardson on the field now because the guy needs to play football. I saw Mike Renner, uh, formerly from Pro Football Focus, who pointed out Tom Brady had more pass attempts in his final season than Trey Lance has had in his entire college and pro career as a starter so far. The guy needed to get on the field. And if you're the 49ers and picked him and then suddenly lost the gumption to go out there and actually give him what you had to know he needed when you drafted him at that spot after all you gave up then that's on you for not being honest enough with who you are and where you're at as you're making that pick because Fitz we talk about what the 49ers problem has been falling short and all this Bill Barnwell tweeted about this yesterday the Niners moved up from 12 to 3 to draft Trey Lance in that draft in return Miami moved down to six and got Jalen Waddell. Philadelphia moved down to 10 and took Devontae Smith. Dallas drafted Micah Parsons at 12. Those are franchise-altering pieces that could have any of them, any number of them in the pieces in that draft, been the one that maybe got San Fran over the hump if they were more honest with themselves and didn't mortgage this future over something that they clearly were not ready, like you said, to make the sacrifices necessary to maximize. Yeah, but I'll take the opposite side from a front office standpoint and say, are you not sitting in the draft room looking at it saying, you know what, we've got this perfect thing put together. It's glorious, and we don't really need any of these other things right now. We're in a great situation across the board with our roster. We don't need any of these other people. Sure, you know, obviously you never want to turn down a franchise-altering player, but as you mentioned, they already have franchise-altering player after franchise-altering player. So if you are a front office, you're looking at it saying, well, the one thing we know is we can find talent. So why not take a stab at the quarterback thing? See if this guy can be our guy. We'll trade up for him. If it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, we're still going to be a Super Bowl caliber team, which they are. Like, I don't think, and I, I want to be clear here too, I'm not underselling the importance of Brock Purdy. I'm pretty, con I'm pretty convinced internally, in my own mind at least, that you could put, I don't know, 26, 27 of the starters in the NFL right now on the 49ers, and they will still be incredibly good. Like, they just... They're at that level, right? Like, I think if Jimmy G were back with the 49ers this year, they'd be a Super Bowl caliber team. If Ryan Tannehill was the quarterback of the 49ers, they'd be a Super Bowl caliber team. If Derek Carr was the quarterback, or you see where I'm going, like, there are so many quarterbacks that 
franchises and, and fan bases right now don't want anything to do with. The fan bases are over them. But with the 49ers, they'd be great because the 49ers have built this glorious, beautiful super yacht. So all he's got to do is not screw it up. Brock Purdy comes into a perfect situation. They can give up on Trey Lance, no skin off their back. That speaks to a good job done by a front office, even if they made a mistake on who they drafted. But most front offices, Jason, don't get to survive mortgaging that amount of capital for a guy they might potentially lose three years later. That's not usually something we allowed. And I get the 49ers front office has done an exemplary job in other places. But what you pointed out there is the fundamental issue in how they either scouted the quarterback or they scouted themselves. Because what you mentioned around the NFL, that would be true for high floor players. We're seeing that in the current version of the preseason right now, right? Guys like Aiden O'Connell, veteran quarterbacks like Dorian Thompson-Robinson, having success the same way Brock Purdy did because they played a lot of football in college. And so coming in and operating the bells and whistles, not as daunting of a task for them as opposed to Trey Lance, who just has not been a starter enough at the high level of football to walk in and make it look as seamless as everybody else. And then you throw the injury where he missed all that development in there. So that's, I think my thing is, if you thought that way about the position, take Mac Jones back then at the third overall pick. Clearly, they're not governed by public shame. I saw people claiming, well, they might have wanted to, and then they got, you know, they would have gotten destroyed in PR. It's like they're getting ready to potentially trade their former number three overall pick in exchange for Mr. Relevant right now. They're not governed by public shame. But what I do hope in all this, Jason, is with what happens with Trey Lance, I'd love to see him get a fresh start. Because there is still talent here. This is still an extremely young player. I think Bill Barnwell also pointed out he's younger than Will Levis, who just got drafted by the Tennessee Titans right now. I hope he gets a chance somewhere because it would be a shame to see a talent like this because of a variety of circumstances. Him not playing as well as he wanted to, injury, and this team thwart what could be a promising career still. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, so Jason, putting a bow on the Trey Lance situation. I'm hoping the 49ers can find a trade partner, someone who's willing to take a swing and maybe give him snaps this season to see what he can be capable of. It is hilarious that Sam Darnold, through all of this, has somehow become the safe option with the higher floor based on everything we have seen about Sam Darnold's career so far. What do you think is the most likely outcome here, Jason? Is Trey Lance on the 49ers roster when we kick off here for real in a couple weeks? No, and I think realistically... At this point, a cut is more likely than a trade, right? Because everybody knows where they are with it. And do you really want to put yourself in a situation where eventually there's money you're going to have to pick up? So I think a cut's more likely than a trade. But if you're the 49ers, you just sort of got to move on at this point. So to me, he ends up somewhere else. And to your point, 
a great situation for him would be somewhere where he can go in and at least start to get reps and start to have the opportunity to play. Like if I'm Arizona, for example, that this year is just basically a free year at the quarterback position because Kyler Murray isn't going to be there. I'd love to take a flyer on Trey Lance and just see what it looks like as he develops. Arizona and Tampa Bay are the ones that come to mind for me. I'd like to see it. I don't know how likely I think it is because this could still be a get-out-of-jail-free card for the Niners after what we saw last year happen with their quarterback position and knowing you get that emergency QB this year. So we'll wait and see. I do think That's it was a, a bit shameful. I do think it was a bit shameful yesterday that after practice, Shanahan and Lynch weren't available for the media, and you had players like Fred Warner who had to go out there and answer questions. So Kyle Shanahan, I know, ended up doing an interview with KNBR, but I never like seeing players have to answer for the decisions that are above their pay grade. But Jason, let's move on to the other situation in the NFL right now involving a disgruntled player. Uh, Jonathan Taylor uh, has been given permission by the Indianapolis Colts to find a trade partner with the deadline of Tuesday of next week, which is the cutdown day in the NFL, to get to your 53-man roster for the start of the season. Jason, do you see anything getting done here? I feel like we've been doing a lot of the same dance with the running back position all offseason. No, uh, and what's interesting is according to, I think it was ESPN said, eight teams have inquired and two or three teams have made offers the Athletic yesterday also reported that, you know, the Dolphins reached out to the Raiders about a trade for Josh Jacobs. So it sounds like Miami's in the market right now, but I just don't know. The, the fundamental problem is still going to be the same. Like, Mike, if I'm, if I'm making you the GM of, you know, your favorite football team here and you get to go in and you're making this decision and now I'm saying, hey, uh, by the way, do you want to trade a first-round draft pick for him or the equivalent of, and do you want to pay him legendary money I just think that's a hard answer for any front office to say yes to, even though Jonathan Taylor's great. Like, you you better be in win now. Miami makes sense because you better be in, like, I think we can win the Super Bowl right now. I don't care what we have to spend to do it, but I don't think there's very many teams that will do that, and I'm not sure they'll give up what the Colts want. I, I heard Dan Orlovsky mention three names this morning. Miami was one of them. Baltimore was one of them. And the Dallas Cowboys were another. And – Jason, we talk about what's going to be the complicating factors in this, right? Number one, the time frame. Number two, the asking price, a first rounder or the equivalent of it. But then also three, the fact that Jonathan Taylor has expressed a desire for an extension. Now, I don't know what says a team has to do that, right? Is Jonathan Taylor ticked off enough at the Colts, at Jim Ursay for the way that this has gone out in the port of public opinion, that he would just prefer, hey, I'll get out here, and he doesn't have a no-trade clause. If the Colts get an offer they like, they can send him on out of there. But if you're Jonathan Taylor, you've made life difficult in one spot now for this team. Would it be difficult if you weren't guaranteed that long-term extension, or would the price of freedom from this organization be enough, especially going to a contender like Miami, like the Dallas Cowboys? I don't know the answer to that, but let's assume you've got to work with a long-term deal fits. I still think, and I talked about this with Mina on her podcast the other day, if you're a team like Dallas, you've got a lot of tough financial decisions to make. This could be a little bit rich for your blood. Same with Miami coming up next year. But I still do think in general, in a vacuum, ideologically, Jonathan Taylor is 24 years old. Provided this ankle health has maybe been more about gamesmanship with his contract situation than it actually has been him being injured going into this season, I think the Derrick Henry contract where you're two or three years in the middle of a running back's bulk, the prime of their career, at like 12 to $13 million a year seems like the sweet spot for a guy who absolutely can be a high-end producer for your offense. Yeah, well, and to your point, 
if you're in win now mode, but you got to make some tough decisions in a couple of years, you can pour, pour that money out in a different way, right? Like, so if you're talking about a three-year deal, you can front load that. You can do some restructuring today, play with the funny money, front load the contract now. So he gets a bunch of money today and guarantees. And then that makes it easier for you on the back end. I, I love it if you are in that situation, but also the only other question is all of these teams, like you mentioned, Miami, Dallas, they're all going to have financial decisions to make. Part of the way that life gets easier in that sense is by drafting a first rounder that can immediately contribute. If you have to give up that first rounder, you're now losing cheap labor, right? And and I hate saying that about human beings, but let's be real, comparatively, first, second, third round picks are cheap labor. So for me, it would be really difficult if I was running a franchise to justify the loss of cheap labor. If you told me that they wanted a fourth that could be conditional up to a third or something like that, then it makes a ton of sense because, hey, that you, who knows with a third round draft pick, but a first rounder, I'd, I'd have a hard time giving up first round draft pick because of what that can mean to my roster construction for the next five years, 10 years, you know? So Fitz, I think the other option here that could be interesting too, is what we saw with Saquon Barkley though, is, Hey, if you're the Colts, do you sweeten the pot for one year? Do you put a little bit of extra money into this? Do you find a way to get creative without ballooning the price too much? What do you think ultimately happens here? Do you think Jonathan Taylor is on the pup list to start the season where if he is, you miss the first four games, do they work something out in Indianapolis or does another team actually pull the trigger? Cause I have my doubts that another team is going to spend based on what we've seen. We have gotten a pretty resounding answer about the running back market so far. And I hate it for those guys. But at this point I have been given very little hope from what we've seen over and over again, this off season that a team is actually going to invest meaningful capital, even for a 24 year old in his prime. And I think, to that point, Mike, look again, look at the report that the Dolphins reached out for Josh Jacobs. That to me tells me that the Colts who have made it clear that Jonathan Taylor's on the, on the market are asking too much. So it feels like this is one of those moments where the Colts have turned around and said, hey, you can go seek a trade, do whatever you want. We're going to ask for this astronomical amount over here. And it's like, okay, cool. You can go find another job, but they make it so difficult that I think it's impossible. I think he's going to be stuck on the Colts and we are going to watch this battle go all year long. It's a great point. I do not think the Colts are doing this in good faith. I think that's what it boils down to. I think this is yet another attempt by this front office to kind of rub his nose in it, rub his representation's nose in it. And for that reason, we will see how ugly they're willing to make this, which is not yet a road we've gone down since Le'Veon Bell. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans would feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. 
In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, excited to welcome in All-American offensive lineman Cooper Beebe from Kansas State. Uh, nice to get a little more beef in here. Cooper, how you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, man. I, I'm not in training camp, and I'm not being asked to hit anyone or get hit by anyone. <laughs> so life's all right for me, man. How's it treating you? I know you're a veteran. You've been around this for a long time now. But how is uh, the throws of training camp treating you right now? Um, you know, it's going well. Uh, we're right in the middle of the thick of it. Um, coming up on a long, long stretch of practices, but you know, body's feeling good. So that's all you can really ask for. Um, going through camp. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an exciting time because you're back. You guys are coming up on the season. You are the defending Big 12 champions, which I felt like this offseason, I almost have to remind people as so much of the conversation around college football is about realignment and you know the teams like Texas and Oklahoma who are getting ready to head on their way out of the Big 12 right now. Is there a chip on your guy's shoulder going into this season just feeling like maybe you're not getting talked about as much as you should considering you won this conference last year? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things I think people have been saying, oh, you, you know, we're, we're the hunted now, you know, we've been the hunted for whatever. Um, and you know, our, our mindset going in is no, you know, we're, we're still the hunters. Um, you know, we're going to give everybody, everybody our best shots. So, um, they better be prepared for it. You know, it's not, it's not the other way around. I mean, everybody's like, oh, all the teams are going to give you their best shot. No, you know, they better show up, um, because they're getting our best shot. Uh, that we have no doubt. And uh, listen, part of the reason it's going to be your guys' best shot is because you are back along with the majority of your guys' offensive line. Tell me about the bring back the beef movement here. I know that there was a meeting <laughs> that you guys had at the So Long Saloon. I know you had you know the potential of going to the NFL, likely being a guy that was highly drafted. So walk me through the conversation around you and the rest of the big fellas about the decision to all come back and try and do it one more time this year. Um, yeah, so it was definitely, um, you know, it was an all or nothing situation. You know, if one of us decided, you know, we were done, we were all going to be done. Um, you know, we knew what, what we did last year was special. Um, you know, we, we thought as, as a unit, there was more out there for us. Um, you know, we decided we're not, we're not done playing, you know, we're, we're building this program to where it needs to be. And we're continuing to lay in that foundation. And, and, you know, we decided one more year, you know, we're going to, we're going to do better than we than we did last year. So we all decided, you know what, we're coming back. And with that, one of the things I always talk about, I get to work with and vote on the Joe Moore Award every year. We've got our criteria and standard, the things that we're kind of looking for in an offensive line unit universally across the country. For you guys and for Coach Riley, your guys' offensive line room, and the job that you've done now for quite a while – Talk to me about the things that are important to you guys when you guys are bringing freshmen on board, when new guys come into your room and you're setting the foundation for what your old line is going to be each year. What are some of the things that you guys really harp on that you think help you guys stand out? Um, I would just say, you know, one of the big things I think that makes um, an O-line good is the way they finish blocks. You know, um, that's really a point of emphasis um, for our unit. Um, I know it's probably for other units too, but 
I think, you know, we take that a step farther. Um, you know, when we grade um, our games, um, you know, the following Monday, you know, we grade our finish. That's one of the criteria that we look at. You know, we give a plus or minus depending on how we thought our finish was. Um, and then Coach Riley is going to tell us, you know, whether whether that was good, whether that was not. And, and that's something that I think, you know, can make O-linemen, you know, maybe they're not the best technically sound people, but if you're willing to finish, if you're willing to out-effort the other team, um, you know, that's going to take you a long way. So I would say finish is definitely, you know, something we emphasize. And, you know, I think another thing we emphasize is, you know, offense line, defense line, you know, we're going to decide how the game goes. You know, it's not, oh, you know, the receivers, the quarterbacks, it's up front that decides, you know, how, how the game's going to go. So, you know, we know we got to put that, you know, all that weight on our shoulders. And, you know, we really kind of dictate how the game is. Um, so, you know, we, we know we got to come out, you know, get everything we got day in, day out. It shows up on the tape. The one thing I think I said to people watching you guys last year is you can tell with the attention to detail on technique with the finish, it matters to you guys. That stuff I firmly believe shows up on tape when you see that a group cares five across the board about going out there and getting the job done. For you individually, you know, you were – you were an All-American last year. You were the Big 12 Offensive Lineman of the Year. You're a guy who's accomplished a lot. I'm curious for you individually, what's the one thing you think you've improved the most at in your time at Kansas State? And then what's the one thing you really want to focus on improving still this season? Um, I think one of the biggest things is just understanding the game, the game of football as a whole. Um, I think that's what kind of takes those offense linemen to the next level. If, if you can understand, you know, what, what, what your offense is trying to do. And then otherwise, you know, what, what's this defense trying to do? You know, how are they going to play here? Are they going to spill you? Are they going to lever you? Um, just different, different alignments. You know, what is, what is, okay, this linebacker, you know, may be out of his home spot. What is that telling you? Uh, and just different aspects like that, I think is really what's improved my game and taken to the next level. You know, I, it's funny, you know, people always ask me in, in meeting rooms, like, how do you see that? You know, it's like, you know, I played a lot of football. You know, you you catch on to some things. Um, you know, you see the game a little bit different than you know maybe a freshman does. Um, so I would say that's probably one of the things that I think I've excelled at the most and probably learned the most my time here. Um, and then probably the thing I'd probably work on is just um, continuing, you know, to, to perfect my technique. Um, you know, we, you know, I don't I don't strive just to get it, you know, perfect one time. You know, I, I want to be it to where I can be perfect without even thinking about it. And, you know, it's something that, you know, I work in, whether that's, you know, in practice, after practice, you know, on my free time and just different stuff like that, because you can never quit perfecting your technique. And, you know, that's something I continue to work on. You mentioned all the reps, all the live speed reps you have at game speed. Was there a moment you felt like it clicked for you, whether it was a game where, oh, something you saw on film showed up and you nailed it perfectly or a tendency a guy had been showing you all game, let you get the right block down the stretch? Is there something that stands out where you really felt like, okay, I- I'm kind of seeing this at a different speed now? Um, I would say probably one of the moments that stand out to me um, when we were playing OU last year um, – and we had we had known, um, you know, they were a pretty heavy twist team. And I think one of the things, you know, we called it out before the play even happened that we knew it was coming. We picked up a twist. Adrian, you know, takes it, whoever knows, 50-something yards, seals the game for us. And it's just a sense of pride that, you know, it, that we take what we see from film and apply it to the game. Um, and just to know that, you know, what you saw, what you saw out there, you knew it was coming. You were able to pick it up, and just to have a play like that happen, I think it's truly special.
Yeah, I, I know there's the old Joe Moore quote, you know, there's no greater feeling than moving a man from point A to point B against his will. But there is something special about knowing you've studied it, you guys have drilled it, you all communicated through it, and you get to hit him up under the mouth after that happens. So there is definitely a satisfaction to that feeling. And, and with that in mind, you talk about how much time and effort you guys put into seeing and identifying all that stuff. You kept the work going this summer. I know uh, Duke Manyweather and Lane Johnson, they put on O-line masterminds, the great offensive line summit for college and NFL guys down in Frisco every year. Going down there, was there a guy that you heard from that stuck out to you or something you picked up down there that really resonated with you, getting to be in a room with Hall of Famers, current NFL guys, and a lot of your other peers around college football? Um, yeah, I think one of the things, you know, you kind of don't think about, um, Steve Hutchinson actually talked about, and it's something as simple as your stance. You know, we had a whole 45 minutes to an hour just talking about stance, um, you know, and how, you know, you, you can't tip off the defense, you know, you're going this way, or you pass setting, different stuff like that, and how, how important your stance is. And, you, you know, as offense linemen, you know, you, you don't really think about it. It's something that's just natural. But just to really examine your stance and understand, okay, am I tipping these things off? Like, how, how, do they know we're about to pass block? Do they know if I'm, you know, for me playing guard, am I tipping that I'm pulling? Um, you know, what's my depth, depth of my stance telling me? Is it tipping them off? And some, something like that I think kind of really blew my mind, you know, when you t hear these Hall of Fame guys talk about something as simple as stance. Um, so I think that was one of the things that I think – you know, really stood out to me is something you, you overlook, um, something you do day in, day out. And, you know, just something as simple as that has a huge impact on the game. It really is amazing for all the things you think are special about these Hall of Fame guys. It, it winds up being the most basic things that make it work and help translate. But I mean, for you, you mentioned playing guard, but you've played tackle for this team. I mean, in one of the biggest games of your guys' season against TCU, you slide out to left tackle in the body of that game. How are you able to be so versatile? Is that something you're cross-training at? Is that something Coach Riley does? How have you made that look so effortless? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is just not just understanding what my position is, but what the whole offensive line is doing as a whole. Um, you know, I'm such a, you know, I'm a been pretty versatile throughout my career. And it's because, you know, I, when I was first brought in, you know, they had me playing tackle and I didn't just study tackle. I, I wanted to know what the tackle was doing. I wanted to know what the guard was doing. I wanted to know what the center was doing. So if they, they needed me to plug in there, I, I knew what I was doing. And, and to bring that even further, I want to know what technique each person's doing next to me, you know, what, what they're thinking and just stuff like that. I think that's really what's allowed me to be as versatile as I, as I've been just cause I've, I've, I know all of it. I, I know what the tackle guard and center are all doing at a given play at a given time. So I think that's really, you know, what's, what's helped me out. You mentioned that overall view of the offense, knowing what everyone's doing, completely agree. We used to, when I was in Notre Dame, we would take our offensive line test, the one we get the night before games. We'd take it together because what good did it benefit for one of us to know what was going on if everyone wasn't on the same page with all that? So that sort of holistic overall view is huge, and I think it helps you weather a lot of situations with what's going on behind you too. So you mentioned Adrian before. You've got Will Howard coming back as your quarterback now, but last year you had Adrian Martinez under center for a majority of the season he goes down and will comes in and while will can still be a factor in the run game definitely a different player than adrian when it comes to how dynamic he is in the backfield behind you 
How different does that make the job for you when you've got someone like Adrian who's more of a scramble threat factor in the run game versus a guy like Will who's a little bit more of a pocket passer? Um, yeah, I think it's one of the biggest things is just change up change up the scheme. Um, you know, it's you know, with Adrian, it was a lot of, you know, QB run game was was heavily involved um in our game plan. Like you said, you know, Will Will's more of a pocket passer, but I think, you know, one of the things that with Will that I really enjoy is it, it doesn't make our offense predictable. Um, you know, he still has the threat threat to run the ball. Um, you know, with with you know Adrian or, or a run threat quarterback, you know they they were able to stack the box, uh, make it a little bit harder on, on us as offensive linemen. But now you know Will, who, who can sling it and, and run, um, you know definitely makes it easier on us because the defense doesn't know what's coming. You know they're not predict- you know, loaded in the box, nine in the box, trying to stop the run. Um, you know they're going to be on their heels the entire game. What stands out to you about Will besides, you know, j- just that factor of it? What he offers you with his arm? What jumps out at you when you line up in the huddle with him as a player? I think it's just his confidence and his leadership. Um, you know, this year he he knows it's his job. You know, he he doesn't have to share it, um, you know, with another quarterback. And, and you know, he's he's full board. He, he has all the confidence in the world. You know, we're, we're right there with him. And just the leadership aspect, you know, he he commands that huddle. You know, there's nothing – more satisfying when, when you get a quarterback in there that's that's plays confidence and plays with confidence and it makes you as an offensive line have that confidence in him knowing that you know he's going to give everything for you so you need to give everything for him so I'd say you know confidence and leadership is probably the best thing I've seen out of Will. It, it really does. It all trickles down. It's why that position is so important across all of football. Uh, there's no doubt there. I'm curious for you, Cooper, big picture, and we'll we'll get you out of here soon on some fun stuff, but I'm always curious, as the rest of the world's focused on all the conference realignment, the changes in the sport, does any of that make its way down to you guys? Is there any angst amongst you guys about what the future of your conference looks like or what's happening in the world around you, new teams coming into the Big 12 this year? Does any of that register with you guys in the locker room right now? Um, not really. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you, you're not oblivious to it. Um, you know, everybody has a phone, you see it on, you know, X or whatever it is now. Um, um, (laughs) it's something, it's something that you see, but you know, we're, we're focused on this upcoming season. And for me, I mean, all this stuff's really not going to affect me a whole lot. Um, so it really doesn't matter to me much, but you know, it's, it's definitely something that, you know, it's, it's hard not to notice, but you know, it's something you kind of throw off to the side, you know, while we're getting ready for this season. Now I, I, I figured as much. And like you said, that's going to be somebody else's problem in a few months when you're getting ready for the draft and all that good <laughs> stuff. So we'll let them all handle that one. Uh, all right. I want to get into a couple of fun things here for you. I know you came into Kansas state and your older brother was here, not on the team, but in school there got to be around him. What's it like having your younger brother on the team with you now? Um, it's super fun. Um, you know, to have a family member on the team's um, pretty special. It's definitely a new dynamic and it, it kind of get it makes it a little bit tough um, just because, you know, you, especially him playing the same position, you want to be pretty hard on him, but you, you got to realize, you know, he's, he's a young guy, you know, you, you had the same struggles as, as he had when you were a freshman and you can't be too hard. But, and then on another aspect is you can't, you know, just focus on him. You know, there's other, you know, freshman offensive linemen, other freshmen here. So, you know, you can't just focus on all your attention on him. Um, but, no, it's definitely special. Um, and it's it's just a unique feeling to be able to play um, with a family member. 
Is there anything your brother does as a player, even early on, that you're going, man, he's he's way ahead of where I was as a player coming out of high school and being at his age? Um, um, I'd probably just say, you know, one of the things that I think he's a little bit different than I am is, is he plays with a lot more swagger and kind of a lot more – uh, I would say he's a little bit oh, – I don't know. Let me figure out how to put this. Um, he's a little bit more – plays with a little bit of cockiness to him. Um, you know, he's the type of guy, if he's going to dirt somebody, you know, he's going to he's gonna walk all over him. Um, whereas, uh, you know, I'm the type of guy, you know, you dirt somebody, you pick them back up. Um, so I would just say kind of his swagger and, you know, his personality I think is definitely a lot more outgoing. Um, he's, he's a little bit more aggressive when it comes, you know, play offensive line. Um, so that's probably the biggest difference between us two. It definitely sounds like younger brother energy right there. That is, uh, as someone as someone who has a younger brother and played with his younger brother, I can definitely see some of the resemblance there for sure. But got to be cool for you. Got to be cool with your folks. Uh, I, one of the other big college football things that we've talked about is name, image, and likeness, players being able to come down here and profit. I want to know when all of that got started, because I always got asked, hey, if it was back when you were in college, what was kind of stuff you would have thought you would advertise? Did you ever think that you would be doing an advertisement commercial for porta potties? <laughs> um, no, um, you know it's funny. You, you saw Deuce and Felix's last year, um, and they asked me. And, and you know, it's it's something fun to do, and I think it's you know something kind of kind of unique. You know, people might laugh at it, but it's it's a fun video thing to do. And you know, you're not. They're not just helping out there, you know, you're helping out their business um, too. So it's kind of a mutual exchange. And, you know, I got, I, I got a lot of good uh, compliments about that video. That was pretty funny. So, you know, that was good to see. Strong acting chops on display. You got a, you got a future. There's a lot of <laughs> off the field dollars coming your way in the next few years. There's no doubt about it, man. Uh, all right. I want to get you out here on a, just a couple of quick ones here. A little bit of rapid fire questions before I let you go especially for me in case I get to come back out. I've always enjoyed calling games in Manhattan, but what is your favorite place to eat in Manhattan, Kansas? Oh, hundred percent. Jimmy John's. I live and die on Jimmy John's, you know, early, early, early in my career. Um, you know, I was probably Jimmy John's four to five times a week. You know, I've probably kept, kept Jimmy John's afloat here in Manhattan, just by the, how much business I have. Um, but I would definitely pick Jimmy John's hundred percent. God, it really, some things change and some things absolutely stay the same through the years. The sight of the Jimmy John's driver pulling up to our facility with a bag full of like eight sandwiches is seared into my brain. All right. That's, that's incredible. All right. I'm going to ask you to dish on a couple of your guys. Who's the nastiest guy in your offensive line room? And spoiler alert, that was me when I was in college. I was always puking somewhere, always covered in snot or something gross. So who's the guy in your guy's room? Who's the nasty one? I would probably say Hayden Gillum just for the fact that it didn't matter if it's a workout, a game, a practice. Every day he'd come out and just throw up every, before every run, lift, or whatever. Just and it was just you knew it was coming because all year was coming from coming from the side, and you knew you knew who it was. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, that was just something that he had to do in in order to get going. So you know, it's something you get used to. But I would definitely say Hayden Gillum. God, I, yeah, I, I puke before every game, so I know where he's coming about. Hayden, you are uh, you are my brother in arms out there. Um, all right, for you, favorite thing about Coach Kleiman? 
Ooh, um, I would say he's just such a such a player's coach. Um, you know, he kind of lets lets the players lead the team. You know, he's not one for you know I'm going to go out be a dictator. You know, it's my way or the highway. Um, you know, he he lets the players take you know ownership in the team, and I think that's one of the things that makes us successful. You know, it. I mean, obviously, you know, you you know how it is when when a player tells you you know to do something, it it means more than when a coach tells you um, to do something. So I think that aspect of Coach Kleiman, I think, is is what truly makes him a special coach. Couldn't agree more from the outside looking in. That that definitely shows up with you guys as well. As does my last question here. 2022 season, you guys after wins, the whole offensive line out shirtless for a picture on the field after every game. I got to know, you brought back the beef. Is the shirtless photo op coming back after wins in 2023? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a tradition that, you know, I think we're going to keep carrying on. And for as long as, you know, Coach Riley's here, I think that's, that's going to be a tradition that's going to keep going. It's a beautiful thing. We're all looking forward to it. Cooper, uh, really exciting stuff, man. Uh, uh, I'm pumped to watch you guys this fall. Hopefully I get out to Manhattan for a game or catch you guys on the road. But best of luck with everything. We're all rooting for you this season, and hopefully we'll get to talk to you again down the road here. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. So as Super Producer Brandon Newman just pointed out in my ear, that man passed the test of are you truly a college student because Fitz, opening him up and giving him free reign over any restaurant in Manhattan and picking Jimmy John's is the most current college student move humanly possible. Yeah, I've made that. I've been to Manhattan a bunch of times. Lots of places to eat and drink there. I love it, Mike. Very few of them will have someone sprinting across campus. Freaky fast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, busy day. Let's finish it up with this, that, and the third. Three quick stories, and they're good ones today uh, before we send you off on your way. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us that five-star rating. Let us know more of what you want to hear as we're getting ready to kick off college football this weekend. And make sure, while you're getting ready for whatever college football you're going to watch or whatever sporting event you're going to go to, you check out knockaround.com for the best high-quality polarized sunglasses that aren't going to break your bank here. Knockaround has great variety and options, casual wear. They've got stuff if you want to really dress it up for sports. Their first nine teams of the MLB collection have been released. They can get you ready for the home stretch with your favorite team. You can also check out the U.S. men's and women's national team sunglasses. Red, white, and blue never goes out of style. Make sure you head over to knockaround.com. High-quality polarized sunglasses starting at just $28. And make sure you use code GOLIC at checkout. Going to get you free shipping on that order. Again, that's knockaround.com for some of the best sunglasses, my personal favorites. Jason, let's get to this, that, and the third. And start off with this. Man, just an all-time bummer. Sad day. Uh, it was announced late last night that Shohei Itani has a tear in the ulnar collateral ligament in his right elbow and will not pitch again this season, according to Angels general manager Perry Man uh, Manison, uh, said Wednesday night. He had been experiencing some elbow soreness. We saw he left the front half of a doubleheader that he had been pitching in about the second inning after belting his 44th home run of the season. 
to lead the league. And Jason, it's a bummer because this feels like the beginning of the get the end. He already had Tommy John surgery in 2018, and we had always been wondering, was there a shelf life for a guy doing what he did on the mound and as a DH, and would it ever come to a head? And unfortunately, now it seems like leading into the offseason where he will get to dip into free agency, this might unfortunately be the thing that prompts a decision or at least an altering of what his career looks like going forward as a two-way guy. Yeah, I mean, you think about what this means for Angels fans that have now likely seen him pitch for their team for the last time, right? That's a that's a bummer. And then what it means for him going into this this offseason because of the amount of money that's going to be spent on him. It's still going to be astronomical. Now, instead of $432 billion, he might only get $431. Don't Google it. That's about a fairly accurate number. But the, the point here is that, to your point, I think it's a reminder that every time he does what he does, we just sort of have to stop and watch because you don't know how many times you're going to get it. Now teams are going to have to figure out what his value is on the street if he is not going to play two positions for them, if he's not going to be the same show, hey, we've been used to. So uh, I, I feel bummer for the player, bummer for Major League Baseball, bummer for the, the circus show that surrounds him, bummer for all of us. Yeah, I heard Buster Olney, ESPN MLB insider, talking uh, earlier this morning saying this, I mean, this sounds like it could be a potential nine-figure injury for him. We were hearing $500, $600 million, and that may bump down a full weight class or might be tiered. That was the other idea where it's built in incentive-wise. If you do get him back on the mound, is that worth that if you're a prospective team? And does this potentially give the Angels a better chance of holding on to him if the bidding is not as fierce from teams willing to come in and throw around titanic amounts of money? But at a base level for all of us, it's just sad, man. Like, he's been our sweet tungsten armo Doyle doing things we've never seen in the baseball world before. And like you said, I think we already had started taking it for granted. And now we're seeing why that was always such a perilous thing so really sad obviously hope just from base level that guy gets healthy and can enjoy a long prosperous career in whatever form and fashion because as we've seen he's great at every aspect of it right now and it's been an absolute wild ride and a really fun one watching it for major league baseball jason let's get to that this was news that broke right as we were recording here the Arizona Cardinals are sending one of their former top picks in linebacker slash safety slash never really found a home in their defense, Isaiah Simmons, to the Giants for a seventh round pick. Jason, I get that in the world of what was thought to be positionless football for a while with guys like him and Zayvon Collins in the former regime in Arizona, that never really panned out all the way. But a seventh round pick feels like a pretty cheap flyer for a Giants defense led by Wink Martindale that now gets another vicious athlete to throw headlong downhill at opposing offenses this season. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I learned when I really got into this career full-time talking to so many former NFL players and athletes is that a lot of times organizations and coaches just screw things up. You and I watched Isaiah Simmons play in college, right? Like there is no questioning his athletic ability. It just takes a coach. I, I look at coaches like Chopped. I want somebody that can open the basket of ingredients and cook something great no matter what those ingredients are. Isaiah Simmons, to me, is an incredibly talented ingredient that nobody has figured out how to make the right dish with. I think, to your point, Wink can do that. And then as he does that, the Giants get another piece in a defense that has a lot of players on it. Like The Giants are a better football team this year than a lot of people want to give them credit for, simply because of the Eagles, simply because all we want to talk about is Daniel Jones, and simply because of the hype of the Cowboys. But this feels like a low-risk, high-reward move by the Giants. feels like they're playing chess right now. 
Yeah, and what they got him for here. Listen, Isaiah Simmons, a former first rounder. Uh, I forget the financials now of what the Giants will be on the hook for here. But you're right, because of the capital they gave up for him, there's not a lot of pressure to insert him beyond what you need from him. And so they can afford to specialize a little bit more. I know the Cardinals hadn't liked the return and what they had seen so far out of him playing safety. He had switched back there now in Jonathan Gannon's defense this offseason and apparently did not impress enough to warrant sticking around. So we'll wait and see. Uh, this feels like an easy one for the Giants to try out because, man, if you can get salvage something out of this, like you said, what an otherworldly athlete in a league that's usually been more accommodating of tweeners now than it used to be years ago when you had such strict ideas of what each body was supposed to do on the field. Uh, Jason, let's get to the third. This was another really interesting portion of the NFL offseason yesterday as Dolphins quarterback Tua Tungavailoa stepped to the podium yesterday with a little more to say after hearing some criticism from ESPN's Ryan Clark concerning his offseason approach to his conditioning and his diet and basically how he took care of his body. Take a listen to how Tua Tungavailoa, who I did not realize had this level of feist in him, stepped to the podium with yesterday. I mean, I think we all worked hard throughout the offseason. Um, and I'm not someone to talk about myself the entire time. But I mean, it takes a lot. You think you think I wanted to to build all this muscle? Like, not nah, to some extent. Like I I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be a little lighter. There's I don't know. There's a mixture of things that people don't understand, that people don't know about, that are talked about, that go behind the scenes. So, you know, I'd appreciate if you kept my name out your mouth. That's what I'd say. Jason, that's as spicy as I think we've ever seen Tua. And I, I want to give Ryan Clark credit because in that segment, you know, he he basically said Tua looked a little thick. He looked like a guy that hadn't been doing what his nutritionist had said. And RC came out today and said, listen, when I got into this job, I wanted to respect the players, coaches, and everybody involved in this and keep and earn that respect with the way I talked about him. And he said he felt like he fell short and missed that mark. So I appreciate Ryan coming out after the fact and putting his hand up and saying he doesn't think he did right by the player in this situation here. But the response from Tua was still something I was not totally expecting. Yeah, there's also some nuance to the response. Let's remember this later in the year because if you listen to what Tua just said there, he made it pretty clear, like, hey, I'm doing what they're telling me to do. Like, I would have loved to have been a little lighter. They told me to put on all this muscle. But, uh, frankly, a problem I'm used to having, Mike. You know, it's just hard when you're this swole. But uh, I hear him say all of that, and it, it makes it clear that he's essentially also saying, this is the Dolphins' plan. I'm following the Dolphins' plan, and I'm doing exactly what I was told to do. So it is interesting to see how that plays out the course of the year because inevitably, whenever guys get bigger, then at the end of the year, we hear, well, you know, he would have been faster if he was lighter. And if they get lighter, then it's, he needs to bulk up. It's like always this back and forth for athletes that are trying to figure out the right spot to be in. But I thought it was incredible that he clapped back. It's, a, it's good that he stands up there and really shows that fight. But also, he made it clear that he's following their plan, even if he doesn't agree with it. Yeah, it's a reminder. Tua has been through a lot very publicly. Remember the flirtation with Deshaun Watson, the conversation about Tom Brady, all these things that happened very publicly that Tua had been candid about saying had affected him in the past. He hears what's being said about him, and he also knows he's walking into a season that's really important for his football future based off what we've seen on the injury front, which is probably why the conversation about his body becomes so relevant because the question is, can he stand up to more of the blows coming through this season? We 
hope you enjoyed the show today. Follow Jason Fitz on Twitter at Jason Fitz. Download, subscribe, rate, review us. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Go, go. Boom. Money in the bank.